adopted. All right, everyone, welcome to my podcast, Banana Life, specifically Professor Dan Ewer, my only loyal and confirmed listener. First, let me introduce myself to the people who don't know me. My name is Alexandria Savage, or Ali Savage, and I'm currently a rising junior at High Point University, and I'm majoring in communications with a focus in media production and entrepreneurship. Now, you're probably wondering what you're doing here and what's so important that I had to make a podcast about. Well, let me enlighten you. This podcast is me divulging into the struggles and traumas of kids who are adopted transracially, specifically Asians adopted into white families. Why, you may ask? Because I am one of those kids and I wanted to talk about my truth and my own experiences of being adopted transracially. It's also not really talked about a lot, so I wanted to also use my voice to help other kids who are in my position and let them know that they're not alone. My other goal is to inform parents and family members that are thinking of adopting transracially and that they should be aware of the societal slash internal struggles that their kids are facing because of transracial adoption so that they can be prepared to help their kid if they are struggling and they are having those internal conflicts about their identity. For my listeners who kind of just found this podcast and don't really know what transracial or interracial adoption is, it's a it's placing a child of a certain race with a family belonging to a different ethnic group or race. So basically, an example of that would be a white child adopted by a black family or a black child adopted by a white family. All right. Now, I really couldn't do this whole podcast without the help of my good and so generous friend, Sarah. Sarah, <laughs> please introduce yourself and state your business here. Hey, my name is Sarah Gway, and I've been Allie's friend since kindergarten. I'm also adopted from China, and I was born there and adopted at, um, like, just before one. I'm here today in order to share with you my experience and have this conversation with Allie about our identities and why it's important to talk about them and the issues that we face because the public should be aware of them and conscious of our struggle because it's important. Thank you, Sarah. What a great introduction. (laughs) Now, the first topic we're going to cover in today's episode is drumroll, please. (laughs) Growing up in a predominantly white dot 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 adolescent, you name it, White neighborhood, town, school, parish, state, basically anything and everything. Let me start this conversation off with a fact about me and Sarah. We were raised in New Hampshire, and if you don't know where that is, it's located on the northeast coast, right below Canada, right above Massachusetts, left of Maine, and right of upside down New Hampshire, otherwise known as Vermont. Anyway, let me take out my book of knowledge. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 93% of the residents in New Hampshire are white, 4% Hispanic or Latinx, 3% Asian, 1.8 Black or African American, and 0.3% American Indian. And if you can't tell by those statistics, New Hampshire is a predominantly white state and lacks any sort of representation for people of color. 
And that's why we're called the Vanilla State. So the odds of me and Sarah seeing another Asian at the grocery store or gas station are little to none. Sarah, when was the last time you remember you publicly saw another Asian in the great state of New Hampshire? Well, I think to just give it some perspective, I probably see a black person five times a month. But I think I've seen five Asian people in the last 20 years of my life here in New Hampshire. That's absolutely insane. I think I would say the same thing or maybe even less than that, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, But point made. Now, we're kind of like a double minority, if you think about it. Uh, Both Asian and adopted. Wow, what a wild concept. You don't see that every day. But in our case, all we have to do is look in a mirror. So at least there's that concrete reminder that we have a social disadvantage. Now, with that witty statement, I want to forewarn you that I'm going to incorporate satire in the show because that's how I deal with my emotional trauma, hence the name of this podcast. So if you easily get offended or just an overall serious type of person, I suggest that you leave while you still can. But if you're here for some great information and some personal anecdotes and some humor, then this is the right place for you. All right. Back to being a double minority. Let's talk about the first time we realized we were different. I'm air quoting if you can't tell. Or really, should I say the first time someone pointed out that we were different? For me, at least, it was probably in third grade when a classmate said I had a flat nose. And for those that don't know, the U.S. National Library of Medicine National Institute of Health says Asians generally have a shorter, wider, and less projecting nose, whereas Caucasians have a more protruding and dorsal hump-like nose. But anyway, um, when uh, when that friend said that to me, I kind of didn't know how to take it, and I was just, like, denying it and also being like, I don't have a flat nose. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, because back then, I didn't see anything wrong with my facial features until someone else thought they needed to say something about it. And at that moment, I didn't know back then, but that's a symbol of me denying where I had originally come from and me forcing to acknowledge that my nose wasn't normal or wasn't that of the majority feature. I think that as a minority, like I want to think of a single story, but I think when you're a minority, like any minority, honestly, you're just constantly reminded of how different you are, whether that is culturally or physically. And in our case, it's mostly physically as a result of our um, Asian race. For me, it's when I hear those comments like, wow, your English is really good, or or people try to make like cat and dog jokes around me, or even within my friend group, this isn't, maybe I just feel different. It's not necessarily, I feel negatively about it because I've accepted the term, but like my friends in college, they call me the Fasian because I have a lot of Asian American friends and I'm the fake Asian because I have white parents and I don't, you know, go to the Vietnamese festivals. I don't go to the Buddhist temple to pray every day. And um, I think that's, I, I think that's largely true. I think I am the Fasian. I, I look the part, but I don't play the part. Well, I was actually going to say that in a later episode, but thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, is there like a specific time that you remember, like when you were growing up, that someone said something that was just like, soup, like stood out to you and was like, wow, I am different. I am Asian mm-hmm. and I'm not like that of a white person. Honestly, I, I can't really... 
there were so many <laughs> no there really there really are and for me it's not really one big moment it's just a lot of little moments like on tv you don't see anyone really who's asian i probably see as many asian people on tv as i do in new hampshire which is five people in 20 years so yeah you're right you're right but i re- i wish i could you know conjure up one single moment where one person told me something but for me i just think it's like a constant sprinkle of like small circumstances and small moments that I'm reminded of my identity good point and the little story that I told you earlier I really think that that was a lesson to myself that I am different and that will be the first of many instances that people are going to or should I say feel the need to point out my differences and that in response I have to own it and say, yeah, that is my nose, and that was the nose I was born with, and what are you going to do about it? I just can't stand there and deny that part of me, no matter how much I wanted to at the time. But I couldn't stand there and deny what sets me apart from others as a form of shame and uncertainty, because that's, I guess, not the normal. I think that is a really super important point, and if the audience takes anything away from this, I think what you're touching on is something that's really talked about today, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not enough to be, well, not even it's not enough, it's wrong. It's wrong to be colorblind. It's wrong to not acknowledge different races for their differences. Because once you start othering a group of people, and exactly as you just said it, othering them and proclaiming that, you know, they're, the other side they're not normal like I'm me this is the majority white white man and once you start doing that you know it just perpetuates all of the systemic racism we talk about and all these little things they add up into oppression and whether or not you believe that like that's up to you but at the end of the day you need to reflect on yourself and understand that what makes you different from the 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 larger crowd yeah the yeah yeah the larger crowd the identity that's in power is ultimately like amazing Mm -hmm. thank you um something else that really also sticks out to me is that being surrounded by so many white people I guess in this case we can call it white culture Side note, white culture is actually a controversial term because some people say that it does exist and then other people say that it doesn't exist. But for (laughs) us right now in this podcast, we're going to just use it as a blanket term for the things that white people are accustomed to in their traditions. But back to the subject, since I am a product of transracial adoption, I kind of lost the sense of being a POC, which stands for person of color because I lack any immediate connection with my culture besides what I look like. And this may be for others too. Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely um, put myself in a similar situation to you where I think in like from probably since I was adopted to maybe like the middle of high school, I largely didn't really acknowledge my Asian identity and not because I hated it particularly, but it just, when you see white faces every day and you don't see your own self reflected in any of the people, you know, you just, you don't think about it. I I just literally never thought about it. But once I got into college and I met other people who were Asian American and 
they showed me like how to eat frog legs at dim sum and you know what anime to watch and I know that's not like you know it's not everything about Asian culture but I think that's when I felt most connected to and um, stable with my relationship with my uh, transracial identity. So for me when I went into college I kind of like made it a mission for myself. Um, So you said that you for you you made it a mission for yourself to go look into the Asian culture and make friends with um like I guess authentic Asian people (laughs) yeah Um, authentic (laughs) but but for me what I did was like my mission was to make friends with other adopted Asian kids like I have like three right now at uh in Mm -hmm. college and I just wanted to talk to them just I really wanted to talk about what their story was and if they felt the same way that I did and um, wanted to be more connected with them because I thought that that would be very helpful for um, identifying myself and knowing my culture and where I stand. So that was a priority when I went into college. Also, the fact that I've been raised around white culture, I'm always hanging out with white people, whether that being my family, friends, mentors, ministers, or whoever. Mm, facts, yep. <laughs> and it's so harmful to myself that I've become, um, like you said, that I'm just going to say it, whitewashed, like you said, what was it, um, phasian, whitewashed, phasian, basically same mm, thing. Mm. Uh, whitewashed is a term when a POC has basically taken up all the customs and traits of the white culture. To some, that's a bad word. Um, it can be seen as offensive and derogatory. But for me, I don't really mind it because I'm admitting that I am whitewashed. And that's something that I'm not going to deny because white culture is all I know. And that's the only thing that I've been exposed to when growing up. Yeah, I totally agree. I myself, I mean, how can I mean, this is a question I would pose for other adoptees, too, because I'd be interested in knowing the answer. But how can someone who's adopted by white people not be whitewashed at all like I would be very interested in their reasoning because I feel as well how could I not be a part of white culture when I eat white food my parents watch white tv shows I watch white tv shows I every single member of my family besides myself is white I just it's the only thing I've ever known so I completely agree with you and I don't really take that term offensively it's honestly like very avoidable, unavoidable at this point. Like I, yeah, same. I don't know any adopt like other adopted Asians that aren't whitewashed. Mm. And like back to what I was saying earlier, the reason why it's harmful, in a sense, is because again, that's me d- disconnecting even more from my culture and me forgetting the fact that I am Asian and that I've put myself in this box where I feel the need to lose my authenticity so I can feel normal and basically come across as a fellow white person to my peers yeah I think this issue is so complicated I mean when you are an transracial adoptee you have to deal with this whole like issue of erasure of your own identity with that of who was ever whoever not whoever whoever has adopted you but You can also think of it in another way, like, are we invalidating people who don't feel the need to um, embrace their culture of their their origin, 
whatever country they were born in. And I think that that's also important to point out. But I think what, whether or not you want to embrace the cultures and practices, anything, any kind of aspect, whether clothes or religion or just pop culture, is up to you. And whether or not you do that is that, like, an adoptee who decides to do that isn't better than an adoptee who doesn't. What is important here, in my opinion, is that you just realize that your physical appearance and where you came from, you, I believe that one has to acknowledge that in some sort of way, and it doesn't have to be adopting the practices. You just have to realize whatever that means to you, that you are different and that those physical differences and those whatever cultural differences you decide or don't decide to practice are important and that you don't just forget about where you came from. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Thanks for that. Um, Do you have like any other, anything else that you want to add to this topic before we end this episode? Um, Hmm. I think that pretty much sums it up, but I think that that's just like the, I think the overall message really here that we've been talking about is that however you want to do it, you should just embrace your identity as a transracial adoptee and don't forget about it. Don't erase it. Don't not acknowledge it because in the end that only comes to harm you. And um, a concluding statement for the people that are listening. So for my fellow Asian adoptees raised into white families or for anyone else who really needs to hear this, denying who you are and where you're from isn't going to help you in the long run. It's only going to make things more difficult for you. Owning the parts of you, like your cultural, your, like your cultural identity and your physical features is something valuable valuable and it can't be taken away unless you let it happen oh snaps that was really good (laughs) so even if you are a minority living in a world that sees you as different know that you've got some spice some flavor (laughs) to add and not to sound corny but that is what makes you special and what makes you stand apart from others so remember that Mm, yes and all right i would say that that was a pretty solid and productive first episode if i do say so myself um so thanks for tuning in on the first episode of banana life and uh, we hope that you stay tuned for the rest of the series (laughs) 